Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome into the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek, a podcast dedicated to everything you need to know about the squad. Hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and those who cover the NBA on a daily basis. The New Orleans Pelicans podcast starts right now. Welcome into the Pelicans podcast. No, I am not Joe Cardosi. I'm Aaron Summers. See, he is off today. I'm stepping in. I am definitely not as witty as he is, so I'm sorry ahead of time. I, I will try I, I'd like to think that I'm funny, Jim. I don't know. I, I am joined by funny. Jim Eichenhofer I think you're here. funny from time to time. Sure. Oh, from time to time. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. I appreciate the opportunity to step in. Jim, we are coming off two tough games in Utah. Not how anybody expected these games to go. Because overall, what would be your biggest takeaway? And they both felt, I mean, it was just a battle. Yeah. I think it was scrappy. The effort from Utah, the size, the matchup just didn't seem to bode well for the Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, Tuesday was a massive clunker for New Orleans. Yeah. We can sum that up quickly. But Thursday, it's the Pelicans, I'm amazed at how many games the Pelicans have played like that already. They've already played five overtime games, 20-something games total into the season. They've had some just drag-down fights with, not literally, hopefully, <laughs> with, with some of these teams where it's, you know, been so many moments in clutch time where you have to come through and make plays. Um, it seems like the Pelicans have probably lost more close games than they've won so far, and hopefully that'll turn the other way. C.J. McCollum talked about after the overtime last night that hopefully this will be good experience for them, that they'll benefit from down the road, that they'll yeah. be better executing in close games in the fourth quarter and overtime in some of these instances. But um, just overall, I, I want to give respect to the Utah Jazz because once again, there's been so many times this season, starting with the summer and the offseason, where people have written them off and Absolutely. said, this team isn't going to compete. They're going to be in the running for the number one pick. They don't have enough good talent. They don't have enough good players. And then after the Pelicans got routed by them on Tuesday, I think a lot of people were kind of like, you know, how do you lose to them by 20-something points? But then the Jazz come back two nights later, and you see once again that they have a ton of talent. Um, I think you alluded to this. It seems like it's a tough matchup for the Pelicans, partly because Utah's front court, those guys are so versatile versatile mm -hmm. and mobile. I feel like Jared Vanderbilt killed them on Tuesday and in the previous game here just with how active he is on the glass. Laurie Markinen is turning into a really good player, and he's one of those bigs that you have to run out on because he's such a three-point threat. And then Kelly Olynyk is just – kind of jack-of-all-trades, can shoot a little bit, can pass, can play make, um, can rebound. And so, and then their their rookie, Walker Kessler, was so impressive to me with the way yeah. he was able to get offensive rebounds. He had a huge putback score last night in, uh, I think it was in overtime. Sorry, hard to keep it all, all the plays straight. <laughs> um, had some shot blocking, intimidation under the rim. I mean, they're just they're just a good team. And I think at, at a certain point you have to say that, they are in the running for a team that can make the playoffs and maybe even move up from where they are right now as opposed to 
a team that you just look at as like, yeah, they're going to just buy their time and then they're going to trade away their, their key guys and worry about the future. I mean, they, they proved over and over again that they're a very good team. And even some of their veteran guards that I didn't even mention with Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson, these guys help you win games. So um, I think it was hopefully something that will benefit the Pelicans down the road. But And I'm, I'm sure everyone is thinking it's a good thing that the Pelicans don't have to play them again in the regular season because it was a – it was a tough matchup. If they do have to play them, at least they have a few months to try to figure it out. If they yeah. play them again, it'll be in in April or May. So, um, but but I was I was impressed by them, and I mean I've watched them a bunch of other games, not just when they played the Pelicans, and it's been consistently the same thing. They're they're just they're not a team that you can take take for granted or think is going to just roll over. It's been interesting the way that they started the season. They started so hot, and mm-hmm. then they kind of hit a lull, and. You know, there was the whole joke, as you mentioned, about them needing to tank so they can they, – they kind of got rid of everybody. They're restarting. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, the young guys on their team, they're fighting, and they're proven that they're a, a very good team. They've started to obviously stack some wins again. When you have somebody like Jordan Clarkson shoot 7 of 14 from outside, and then he had 39 points, I mean, he was unstoppable. He had 15 baskets in the game, too, like – when you look at his stat line and you see he had – usually when a guy has 39 points, it's because he tacked on 10, 11 free throws, got to the line. He sure. Only, he only made two free throws. So when I see that he was 15 for 26 overall, I mean, for a guy like that who relies a ton on jumpers, it's not like he's getting into the paint and dunking on people and getting mm-hmm. easy baskets. For him to be able to just pour in jumpers like that and make 15 field goals, I mean, it was impressive, and he was – a huge reason why they won the game, and right from the start, he put the Pelicans kind of on their heels. I said this after Tuesday's game that this was the first time that you really felt like, man, Brandon Ingram would have been great tonight. Yeah. And I felt that again last night. C.J. McCollum was giving it everything he got, Zion Williamson. But just that extra playmaking ability, mm-hmm. his mid-range shot, you know, he provides a different look for teams, I think would have been a big challenge for Utah. You know, it's funny, too, I mentioned this after the game, that it reminded me of a playoff atmosphere as far as just looking around the crowd and seeing, like, how into the game their fans were and even how close it was at the end and also just how much of a half-court game it becomes when the game gets so tight. You're not getting a lot of fast breaks. So you have so many situations in the half-court where you have to try to make a play against the shot clock. It's winding down. There's five or six seconds. Um, There's situations where you have to create your own shot or create an open look that um off the dribble and bi does all of that stuff Mm -hmm. so there's no doubt i agree 100 percent that they definitely miss him in a lot of situations where just having another guy too i mean some of these teams are loading up on zion it's harder to do that when you have another all-star caliber player on the court so um pelicans were able to really do well for a stretch and win seven games in a row without Brandon Ingram but I mean you you figure eventually it's going to catch up to you and there's going to be some games where you say boy we really wish we had him out there I'm on board though with what CJ said that it's going to make us better you know Mm -hmm. down the stretch I mean it'd be nice to stay number one forever but it's not where you have to be at this point in the season and you might as well be put in some tough situations that are going to make you grow make you better I mean last night they the turnovers and even just that stat alone, the Pelicans had 18 turnovers and the Jazz scored 33 points off of them. You know, that's something that you 
have to pay attention to going forward. Just little attention to detail type of things that, you know, in some of the TikTok fouls that we mm-hmm. were seeing, them getting in foul trouble early. Yep. You know, those are areas that are, are stuff that you can pinpoint and fix and work on. There's definitely stuff that they can, you know, use going forward from these games. And I, I liked the way that they were able to get the game to overtime. I thought the the very end of regulation where there was a couple times where it looked like, you know, Utah's maybe going to be able to pull this game out and it's not even going to go there. Um, the the last play where there was a kind of a scramble, Zion mm-hmm. made an extra pass, and then Trey made a three from the corner. It was great to see Trey knock down some threes last night. We know it was a matter of time before he did and that. And I love that Zion made that pass because sure. he he's like, I know you're not shooting like you're used to, but I still have confidence in you, mm-hmm. Trey. You're my guy. Yeah. And – tried it he stepped up and knocked it down so mm-hmm. i i love that that they're right. still supporting each other they're still confident in p- their teammates abilities right and then they get to overtime and um i think they only scored six points in overtime they had some possessions that were kind of stagnant or they didn't get the shot that they wanted so again like you said those are things that they have to improve upon some of the execution it would heck help a ton to have Brandon Ingram out there for some of those situations. I mean, we saw that in the playoffs against Mm -hmm. Phoenix last year too. I mean, how huge he can be when the game gets down to where it's walk it up. You're not getting fast breaks because the other team refuses to let you have those opportunities. Um, So, you know, if they can, I I would think that they're not going to be going to have another like 10 overtime games over the course of the rest of the season, which is kind of the pace that they're on right now. With five already, basically. The good a thing third. we have depth. Right, right. That, that's helpful. But I mean, if they do keep coming into these situations where it comes down to the wire, they're going to have to keep making progress and keep improving, especially mm-hmm. on the road. It seems like um, most of the close losses have been on the road. They've been better in crunch time and clutch time in the Smoothie King Center than they have in some of these these really close nail biters on the, the road. Before we bring in our guest for today, I do just want to kind of give praise to Najee Marshall because I think he's just played phenomenal over these past couple weeks. It's been fun to watch him. You know, he's a fighter, mm-hmm. but he's making great decisions. Sometimes, yeah. uh, last year, I, I would get a little nervous when he'd go barreling mm-hmm. down the lane, but he's been effective when he's going downhill this year. He's bringing some energy off the bench, especially when we didn't have Jose Alvarado last night. He was yep. forcing steals, and I mean, he was just really effective in his minutes. He was, and I, you know, they have a stat for literally almost every single thing in basketball right now in the NBA. I was wondering if someone could keep track of floater and ones because Najee seems to be yeah. <laughs> near the top. He he might not be leading the NBA in floater and ones, but he's leading in per minute floater and ones for sure. I don't think there's anybody off the bench across the NBA that has like three or four floater and ones in the same game the way he did against Utah. So I don't know what it is about that shot, but he's I'm sure he's worked on it a ton and teams try to contest it. They run into him, knock him down. He still makes the basket. So, but like you said, I mean, he's improved his offense so much mm-hmm. and his his shot has improved a ton. His field goal percentage is way up. Um, I think part of that is he's taken better shots, but he's also of the ones that he's taking, his three point accuracy has improved. He's worked. We've seen him work on that so much mm-hmm. in the practice yep. gym and that kind of thing. But um, credit to him because I think across the board for you know people talk a ton about Jose being undrafted, but Najee Najee was undrafted as well yep. uh, the year previous, and he's turned himself into a really good player and a guy who's super valuable 
as you know one of the guys that comes in off the bench and uh, without him last night, they probably wouldn't have even gotten to overtime or had it be a game that was tight in the fourth quarter. Definitely. He's somebody that has come in and worked hard and proven Coach Green right. Coach Green said, if you show me that you deserve minutes, I will find them for you. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at the roster and saying, man, there's so many talented people on our roster this year. There's no way there's going to be an opportunity for me. He created one for himself and proven that they can trust him in the game. So love that for him. It's been fun to watch his progression over this year as well. We're going to bring in somebody who's covered the Pelicans for a long time, a writer for Crescent City Sports, Les East. He's our guest today, and we're going to talk a little bit about how the Pelicans have gotten here, how their roster has been built, and, of course, the Phoenix Suns. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We are pleased to welcome in Les East, a freelance writer who covers the Pelicans for Crescent City Sports. Been around the area, followed the Pelicans for quite some time, especially last season to this season. There's been so much difference from the way that this season started compared to last season. Les, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We look forward to jumping into some different topics with you today. Well, thanks, Aaron, and it's good to be with you and Jim. Yeah, Les, um, you know, I've had so many conversations with you over the years. I know you've been around New Orleans media longer than I have and covered the Hornets slash Pelicans from really from the beginning you were here in 2002. Um, I think one of the things I want kind of broad topics that we've touched on a lot over the years in pregame meals and postgame um, anxious moments was just kind of the approach that the team has made to, to building the roster and just the different strategies. I mean, they've done a lot of different things over the years with different front offices and that kind of thing. But, I mean, in general, I mean, how would you describe and kind of assess what this front office has done in terms of their approach over the last couple of years as, as well as just um, how successful they've been in, in trying to attack things from the, the strategy that they have? Well, I think it's been one of the – more remarkable turnarounds I can think of, not not just in New Orleans, but but almost anywhere. When you think back to to being three and sixteen last year, and then reaching the play-in, and then then winning twice, and playing the Suns really tough in the first round series, to being in, on top of the Western Conference in December uh, this season, it's just been uh, dramatic the turnaround, and I, I think. They've done a good job of putting together a roster that fits together well. I think all the pieces fit together well, but you know certainly the C.J. McCollum trade was, was a, a huge step in the process because it, it not only brought in another scorer, but it brought in a more mature leader than they had with a lot of the young talent. But another thing, and, and this is partially planned, but not totally planned. And the job they've done in bringing in guys out of college over the last 
two years. And, you know, they drafted well, obviously, with uh, Trey Murphy, the third, and, and Herb Jones was a tremendous pick in the second round. Looks like Dyson Daniels was a really pick, really good pick. But then when you throw in Najee Marshall and Jose Alvarado, two guys they just brought in as undrafted free agents to look at, that they really hit home runs with both guys. And, and that's something where uh, I, I don't know that that was part of the plan. That was just, you know, let's fill out the roster for training camp. Mm-hmm. And their scouting department did a great job of, of finding two guys who, who really are playing like first-round picks. When they did the Anthony Davis trade in 2019, obviously this was not a voluntary situation. It wasn't like, yeah, we, let's trade Anthony Davis. It was more of a gun-to-the-head type deal. But, I mean, when that trade happened and you kind of saw the change in direction that was necessitated by that, I mean, A, did you did you um, buy in to the philosophy of, you know, this is going to be kind of patient and building through the draft, and B, I mean, do you feel like they're ahead of schedule if you if you go back to just three years ago and where they are right now in almost 2023? Yeah, I think they probably are ahead of schedule. I, I think they did the best they could do under the circumstances. You know, David Griffin inherited the situation, and that was probably the first major thing he had to do it was resolve the Anthony Davis situation. And uh, he he didn't panic. He took his time seeing what offers were out there. I think probably got as much as he could have gotten from anybody that got a good return from the Lakers, not only with young players, but with all the draft choices into the future. And so I think that was well done. They've, to this point, I think, utilized those draft choices to good effect, uh, but again, getting back to the McCollum trade, along with other people that they brought in, I, I think the uh, turnaround has been pretty dramatic. And when you factor in uh, that they've had, you know, two coaching changes, they had the COVID complications that really made it difficult in terms of uh, off-season programs, in-season practices. Um, you know, it's really there were a lot of challenges that went into building this team uh, over the course of the last two or three years. And to be where they are today, I think you would have to say that they are ahead of schedule. You've referenced the CJ McCollum trade and, and haven't said Larry Nance Jr.'s name yet. He has been somebody that's come in and had a major impact on this roster. Was that just a bonus of that trade? Well, I, I think the, with the public perception, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, sometimes he's, people use the term throw-in, like, mm-hmm. you know, they were trying to make the numbers match and it was kind of like, or roster spots match, and it's like, oh, okay, you can have this guy. And that, that's certainly not what Larry Nance Jr. has proved to be. Mm-hmm. And you would have to ask David Griffin, but my sense is that he probably didn't look at it that way, that he saw – that that Nance could be a a key component of this. And he has certainly been that, you know, I I think at the time the expectations for him uh, were not very high, partly because he had the knee issue at the time of the trade. It got it scoped and didn't play for a while after the trade. And so there was a lot of doubt as to whether he was really going to have much of an impact short-term or long-term. And then, um, 
you know, once he got healthy, he was uh, really big last season. He's been great this season. Perfect complement to Jonas Valanciunas. Very versatile player, and he he's really a very important piece to this. So I think, at least from the outside looking in, his impact probably has been greater than what the public perception has been. Though in, internally, I, I suspect the Pelicans probably had a uh, had pretty big plans for him when they uh, got him involved in the trade. Les, you mentioned some of the draft picks of the recent last couple of years. And obviously, New Orleans also has a bounty of future draft picks as well. They have the ability to swap with the Lakers here coming up in 2023, which right now it's looking like that will happen regardless of where the Lakers finish. You know, New Orleans has a pretty decent lead ahead of them, so that is in play as well. But, I mean, I think part of some teams and some NBA teams' strategy is, you know, you're not going to hit on every single pick. You're not going to always get the exact guy that you should take. Obviously, the Pelicans the last couple of years have done really well in that. But, you know, overall, if you have a lot of shots at the bites of the apple, you have a better chance of being successful. I mean, how do you how do you assess just what they've done the last couple of years as far as I mean, is it kind of exceeding expectations of like what what's realistic as far as just how they've done with the guys that they've picked in the first round and even the second round? Well, you know, I. I... I think the first round is obviously easier than some of these lower picks. I think the Herb Jones pick is something you can't count on that happening very often, getting somebody of his caliber in the second round. That was just a tremendous pick, and it seems like the sky's the limit for him. It was a little easier, I think, with Dyson Daniels and Trey Murphy because they, you know, they were guys who were highly thought of mm-hmm. entering the draft and uh, were projected to go about where they went. But uh, I think that's the bonus is getting essentially another number one pick in the second round with her Jones turning out to be the player that he is. So you hope that from the Pelicans point of view, that you can continue to do that in the draft. And yet, they've put themselves in a position where a lot of these picks are going to be lower in the future. Now the Lakers are helping them out by giving them some higher picks here along the way. And and perhaps again next summer. So, you know, we'll see where they pick. I don't know that they're going to continue to be able to add the same quality if they're going to be picking lower than they've been picking the last couple of years, but certainly they've done a really good job with the opportunities that they've had in recent years. And I I think one of the smart things that that David Griffin did with the trade was that it was set up not only to rebuild the roster and and to give them an opportunity to have a young team that would turn it around, but they were staggered over several years to, Mm. to build sustainable success, to not just get everything at one time, but to continue to build with draft choices as the roster and the team were getting better and better over the years. And they seem to be on course to continue that well into the future. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, I think everyone has an eye on the future and understanding that, you know, three years from now, they could be even better positioned than they are right now. They could have a better team five years from now, so on and so forth. But I think one of the things that has taken caught people's attention around the league is just the, ability for them to be so competitive already and already have a team that was in first place in the Western Conference for 
about a week, which just a, a stretch that ended last night. They're just there's still only one game out of first with Memphis having moved into that number one spot. But and that's without the team being completely healthy. Right, right. But I mean, what do you think about? I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I mean, have you started to think, you know, is this team capable of winning the West? Is this team capable of going to the Western Conference Finals? I mean, short term, I mean, of course, we're super excited about the future. But I mean, are you surprised at how they've done so far this year is just to immediately be in the position that they're in and what their potential is for this season? Yeah, I am surprised, and, and um, Aaron brings up a good point about the injuries because they they may not jump out as much as uh, some of the other injuries in the past that were long-term season-ending injuries because a lot of these, really all of them, have been short-term injuries. But there have been a lot of them, and they've involved starters. So they've been hamstrung to some degree, and yet it hasn't really shown up in the one-loss record you know, when people ask me preseason about the expectations, you know, I kind of felt like I kept preaching patience because I thought there would be some bumps in the road early in the season because they were had a team that was figuring it out at the end of the last year, and all of a sudden they were going to have to incorporate Zion Williamson, who was such a big part of it, and, and I just thought that that naturally would take an adjustment period, and I thought they might you know, be a little inconsistent early on. And then after, you know, New Year's and the All-Star break, they would figure it out and they would have a chance to really be peaking in the spring, you know, maybe get to a top four spot in the West and get home court. But now, even with the injuries, they're kind of playing like I thought they would be playing in March or April. I didn't expect them to be this good Mm -hmm. this fast. And so I've had to adjust my expectations uh, certainly top four is realistic but now i think you have to start looking at the possibility of competing for the number one seed and, and being a serious contender in the west because the way they have played uh has dictated that and i, I think they're certainly capable of doing that and i don't think uh, there's one team in the West that jumps out uh, as being above everybody else. You know, Golden State's going through a, a lot of issues, and now Steph Curry's going to be out for a while. And th- there's just nobody at the top of the conference that you look at and say, boy, they're, they're in a different league. It's a very competitive conference, conference, and I don't see any reason why the Pelicans shouldn't be considered in the top tier. How much of their success so far is due to Zion Williamson getting more comfortable? It seemed like it took him a little while to develop that chemistry to assert himself in the way that we've seen him over the past couple weeks. Would you attribute where they've gotten to and how quickly they've gotten to because of his ability to really start to gel? Uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I, I, I think there's two things. One, one is uh, really the last few weeks he is really taking it to a higher level, and I, I just think that's a comfort level he has, and it's one that, that Willie Green and the whole team have with him. I, I think there was a point somewhere in November where they started to figure out um, – a way to not go back to what we call point Zion where he was running the offense, but to where he got the ball in his hands a lot more 
and did initiate the offense a little bit more. I don't know if it's quite as dramatic as it was a couple of years ago, but the blending of letting him initiate the offense and then letting him also play off the ball and utilizing his skills in a variety of ways, I think Willie Green started to get a little bit more comfortable with how many different ways he could uh, initiate the offense. And I think with Brandon Ingram being out, Zion sensed that he had to uh, take over the offense in a lot of ways and did that. And so I think his development, his confidence, his comfort level were all important. But I think another thing that has to be uh, factored into this is the job that the player development staff and the coaching staff have done with the young players and certainly the players deserve a lot of that credit too but you know the development of Trey Murphy the third the ability of Dyson Daniels to contribute even as a starter right away as a 19 year old the development of Jose Alvarado and Najee Marshall who I mentioned earlier and then the development of Williamson as well as Brandon Ingram when he was healthy and Herbert Jones. I mean, this this team is still so young in so many ways, and yet the, the development of so many of these young players has just been through the roof. Les, you mentioned earlier how there isn't really one team in the West that stands out as far as head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, we're going to see the Phoenix Suns again on Saturday this weekend. I know you were at both of the games in the Smoothie King Center that the Pelicans won. One was a 11-point win. The other was an overtime game. I mean, you've covered the Pelicans slash Hornets for quite a while. I mean, do you remember it, the intensity of a regular season matchup like that happening? I mean, is that was that pretty unique in terms of just the the intensity and just how heated that was for a couple games in early December? Yeah, it was. I, I don't ever recall that kind of atmosphere uh, in the Smoothie King Center uh, this early in the season, and, and basically I would say during Saints season, because that's really kind of a, a, a line of demarcation mm-hmm. during the year is simply that you know people's attention is divided between football and basketball until the Saints are done. And I think uh, a combination of factors played into that. I, I think the Pelicans were starting at a higher point in the community's consciousness when the season began because of the success last season and then adding Zion Williamson back from the injury. And then the team's play living up to expectations will obviously enhance that. And then the fact that the Saints have been disappointing, I think, made it easier for folks to turn their attention a little bit away from the Saints and more toward the Pelicans a little earlier than they normally do. And then when you throw in the team they played in the playoffs last year, one of the strongest teams in the NBA, a team with a lot of ties to uh, former Pelicans teams, all of that came together at once with back-to-back games. I think it was a unique experience having those two games, and the atmosphere was very much like a playoff game in April or May. And uh, for both games, I think the way the game Friday went enhanced the emotion for Sunday's game because it was so intense, especially at the end. And uh, that was as good an experience, I think, as there has been for Pelicans games at any point, and the fact that it happened in December really was unique. 
They have one more game here this Saturday for the road trip against the Suns. So we'll see how that emotion translates to their court and how they play after being swept here not too long ago. And then we have a sold-out game on Monday against the Bucks. So there's a lot to look forward to. Real quick, your thoughts on those two upcoming matchups, big games for the Pelicans. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. I think the game on Saturday is going to be a real test because I think the Pelicans are going to take the Suns' best shot. Not that they didn't last weekend, but you know that I think those games probably meant a little more to the Pelicans than they did to the Suns, at least on Friday. Uh, I think that the ending on Friday maybe woke up the Suns a little bit, but the Pelicans beat them again. Now, after those two losses and going back home, uh, I think the Suns are going to treat this like a playoff game on Saturday. And so I I think this is going to be a really good gauge of where the Pelicans are as they try and duplicate those two performances on the road. And then coming back home, you know, we talked about there not being a great team atop the West. Well, there are two of them atop the East with Boston and Milwaukee. So I think that will be a really good test on Monday night after – you know, a three-game road trip to come back and have to play the Bucks is going to be a strong test. And so this is, again, going to be interesting to watch how they play two games over a three-day period. Hopefully we can end this road trip with a win, come into the Smoothie King Sunday, the Smoothie King Center on Monday and, you know, play a tough one there. We appreciate the time, Les. As always, it was great to chat with you, and we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Les. Appreciate Les coming on, joining us this morning. Great insight into the roster build, how we've gotten to where we are, and what's ahead. Speaking of that, Jim, I know you have your thoughts. You were in there in the Smoothie King Center for this Phoenix Suns game, the Friday-Sunday playoff atmosphere, I think is an understatement. It was loud. Tension was high. Emotions. It was fun. But now the Pels, they're going there on Saturday. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of atmosphere that there is in Phoenix's arena. I believe yeah. it's called Footprint Center, I mm-hmm. think it still is. Um, I'll have to check that. Uh, it seems to change frequently. But, I mean, as, as Les mentioned, and I think he's on point with this too, the games last weekend in New Orleans were probably more important top of mind to the Pelicans than they were the Suns. Obviously, for New Orleans, you're playing against a team that knocked you out of the playoffs. That's something that Zion specifically mentioned after his um, late-game dunk of why why he was so emotional and so happy to to be able to win that game. But I'm curious. I I don't think it's going to match the intensity that New Orleans fans had here because, you know, it's not the same situation for Phoenix. But I do think that it's going to be intense. Um, Phoenix... They they won Thursday night against the Clippers, ending a five-game losing streak. I think that will, quote-unquote, help a little bit in terms of the Suns being maybe a little bit less ornery. If mm-hmm. they had lost six in a row and come into the game Saturday against a team that swept them the previous weekend, still on a losing streak, still trying to find their footing, um, I think they would be even more maybe on edge and a little chippier. But I, I still think it's going to be that level of, you know, maybe – Maybe not playoff intensity, but pretty darn close to that. These teams don't like each other. It's pretty clear at this point that that's the case. Um, but uh, they got Devin Booker back from mm-hmm. a hamstring injury after he missed a couple games, including their loss to Houston on Tuesday night. And they played really well. They beat the Clippers pretty handily. 
So um, they're in a situation just like a lot of other teams in the West where, I mean, you need to win games because if you look at the standings, if you go on a five-game losing streak the way they did, they went from first in the West down to, you know, fourth right now. So right. it's – I know sometimes I'm speaking to no one when I say this, but it just feels like there needs to be a lot of urgency around the league, and I think Phoenix is probably in that situation even though there's 50-plus games left. You said honorary, and you talked about how they don't like each other. And obviously, Jose Alvarado came to mind. He mm-hmm. did not play this last game against right. Utah. Obviously, you saw him on the bench. He was up and in it, and he clearly wanted to be on that court. How much do you think that's going to just intensify the way that he attacks the game Saturday? Yeah, well, you know, I hope that he doesn't play in a situation where he shouldn't play just based on the fact that they're playing against Phoenix. You know what I mean? Like, they, I don't know for sure. I guess we'll see the injury report later right. Friday and see what his status is. I would, of course, everyone would love to see him be out on the court because I feel like a game against Phoenix where he doesn't play is kind of missing like a key element to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he's if he's able to to play against the Suns, everybody will there'll be like one camera trained on him and Chris Paul every second. Yeah, of just the, the game ISO on Jose that they're the out whole there, time. right? And we, we may even need an extra camera <laughs> angle based on what happened in one of the games last weekend to make sure we don't miss anything. But um, but yeah, he I, I noticed in the Utah game too that it was a couple times he was jumping up and down after somebody made a three. And they were the whole bench was excited, especially when Trey made the tying mm-hmm. three to send it to overtime. But I was kind of like, "Take it easy, man. Don't yeah. don't strain anything. Don't hurt anything. We know you're supposed to be over there resting. Like the right. reason that you're not playing is so that you can get a couple days to to chill. And hopefully by Saturday you'll you'll be in a position where we can say, okay, we're fine putting you back on the court. We're not worried about you aggravating the injury.' Did they have to hide his jersey from him? They probably they probably <laughs> did, yeah. They probably did. Or maybe they had to show him, you know, there's like an official sheet that they t- submit that has inactives and in, inactive in, in players. They probably had to show him the sheet before the game and say, Jose, you are inactive. You yes. officially cannot play, so don't even think about it. And that would, I guess that would, prov- that would mean they don't have to hide his jersey from him, but they probably took that precaution anyways. Oh, I could see him walking in and changing and just trying to, like, hide, you know, get <laughs> right. on the court and right. jump in the game. Yep. I mean – whether he plays or not, you know he's going to be fun to watch, even as you mentioned on the bench with the energy that he brings and the way he cheers for his team. It's going to be a fun matchup on Saturday, and then we'll welcome everybody back here to the Smoothie King Center on Monday with that sold-out game against the Bucks on a Monday night, already sold out, and in the middle of Christmas. I can't wait for that game. I mean, Saturday is going to be really interesting. We talked about that with Les, but um, j- just coming off of the atmosphere that we saw last weekend – it's not going to be the same thing. There's not really that much dislike or animosity from the fan base towards Milwaukee. In fact, I think a lot of people in in a way kind of root for them because they have Drew Holiday and they're also a small market. So if there's a team in the East that you want to support, you might you might pick them if you're a New Orleanian. But um, just a great, again, a great opponent, one of the best teams in the league. And I, I want to see – it was just so much fun being in the, the atmosphere, mm-hmm. being – playoffs in December kind of deal that we saw with Phoenix. So I'm just looking forward to um, after a week or so of them being gone, of just being back in the arena and getting to experience that again and feel what that atmosphere and that vibe is like. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We look forward to watching the game on Saturday. 
There'll be another Pelicans podcast on Monday before that Milwaukee Bucks game, so we'll dive a little bit more into the matchup there, what to expect in that game. Joe will be back, I know, and everyone can be excited about that. But thank you for letting me sit in for this one, Jim. It's been a pleasure, and thank you to everybody listening. Yeah, I guess we had a little bit of a musical chairs. You know, we had Joe go. I was out Wednesday. Joe's out today. Uh, You were able to step in and and fill the the role and – but, but yeah, we're looking forward to these next few days and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, how great is this to be, you know, second place in the West and have a chance to keep uh, putting together some wins. And it's, it's a really a lot of fun around here right now. It's a lot of fun and we're hoping to keep it going. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. Join us three times per week on pelicans.com the Pelicans mobile app, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.